O God, in your boundless compassion, console us when we mourn. Help us to grieve with hope and give us faith to see in death the gate of eternal life. Amen. Presbyterian minister Lloyd Ogilvie tells of going to see a Broadway play, a musical entitled, Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. In one scene from this musical, a group of people who are overwhelmed by the trials and tribulations of life have lost hope for the future. And in so doing, they assume the fetal position on stage the lights dim and they sing over and over again the refrain, Don't bother me, I can't cope. I say that with some intensity because there have been a few times in my own life that I've felt very much like that. Have you? Lloyd Ogilvie's take-home point from the play is that our view of the future strongly impinges upon the way that we respond to life in the present. In other words, if we don't have some hope for the future, if we don't have an optimistic view of the future, then our creative energies for dealing with the present tend to shut down. Tell me your view of the future, and I'll tell you how much energy how much optimism, how much enthusiasm you have for living today. This is what I think the prophet Ezekiel meant when he wrote, Without a vision, the people perish. Without a vision of some hope, we perish. Now, when I say that we perish, what I mean is that we become fatalistic. We give up. We quit. We throw in the tile, tile. So our vision of the future, the way that we anticipate life is important, very important. Not only for the next life, but for the way that we live this life. A fatalistic view of life not only affects how we view life after the grave, but it has the power to shape how we meet or don't meet the challenges of life after birth. And there are plenty of challenges of life after birth. Consider this scene from the life of St. Francis. One day Francis was out hoeing his garden. A man approached him and asked, Francis, if you knew that tomorrow you were going to die, what would you do? Francis said, I will show you. And with great equanimity, with great inner peace, Francis kept hoeing his garden. Our faith in the afterlife allows us, does it not? I pray it does, to continue with some equanimity, some quiet confidence to hoe the garden that is in front of us, the road that we've been given. And we all have our hoe, and we all have our row. 
faith in the afterlife allows us to continue our pilgrimage on earth, meeting the challenges and demands that are in front of us with equanimity. Or not. Of course, the humbling reality in all of this is that you and I do not know, do we, what the future has in store for us. All of us who are here today have no way of telling what tomorrow will bring. The only thing we can say for certain about the future is that it involves death. Dying is on everyone's to-do list. Have you ever noticed the fact that no one is getting out of here alive? I don't mean here this morning. That sounds too much like Jim Jones. I mean, no one is getting out of this life alive because death awaits us all. And yet, we live in a culture that tends to deny death. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was the pioneer of understanding the psychology of death and dying, maintains that we who are living often add to those who are dying the emotion of loneliness because of our uncomfortableness with the subject. We don't like to use the D word, and we use lots of euphemisms instead. Death is often the untalked-about elephant in our living room. And when it comes to death and dying, it's not only great loneliness that the person dying can feel because we're so uncomfortable with broaching that subject, but great fear as well. And one of the fearful dimensions of death is that we do not know how it's going to happen to us. Death may await us peacefully after a long good life we all would love that and pray for that and it may happen that way or it may await us the way the concrete floor awaits a falling light bulb we witnessed that this week in the news unexpected death certainly has the power to shatter our current plans and dreams and send us into despair. Another fear of death for some people is the fear that there may be nothing on the other side. Is death really the equivalent of destruction? Is it the annihilation of what is a return, if you will, to the abyss of nothingness? This fear has been expressed by poets and philosophers alike. Homer, the Greek poet, wrote, What we call life is destroyed by death, and there's none who can take away its terror. Really? A more contemporary philosopher states that our generation does not believe that God is dead. Instead, we believe death is God. That is, death rules, which means that this life is all there is. Jack Nicholson made a movie about that. I don't think he was as serious in in this movie as, as I am about it, but he... His movie, you might remember it was, This is as good as it gets. 
It's actually a pretty good movie at times. But if you don't go with Jack, you can go with Mel. I'm speaking of Mel Blanc. You remember who Mel Blanc was? He was the cartoon character, the voice for Porky the Pig, and his mantra was the deeba deeba deeba. That's all, folks. He said it so many times he had it put on his gravestone. Now, there is a finality to this life. Jesus himself said, it's finished. But that's not all. There is a finality that death brings. In response to this sort of fear of death, today's gospel reading proclaims to Jack, to Mel, to you, to me, to the whole world, that sickness and death are to be expected anticipated but they're not the end of it all the hope of the Christian faith is that sickness and death do not have the last word instead God who is life has the last word this is the revelation of the life death and resurrection of Jesus but before we get to resurrection Mark in his first word in the gospel speaks of suffering and sickness and hemorrhaging, and dying. He tells us about a woman who for 12 years had been treated by many physicians. She had spent all of her money trying to get well. He says she was depleted, worn out. She was at the end of her resources, financial resources, probably emotional and spiritually. She had done all of this, and yet Mark tells she was not better at all. In fact, she grew worse. Have you ever been there or have you ever known someone that progressively is getting sicker and worse? It's hard to imagine being in a worse situation than this woman unless you happen to be the other character in today's gospel reading named Jairus. He was the ruler in the synagogue. His daughter was sick. His hope was that Jesus could heal her. However, his hope was shattered like a light bulb crashing against the concrete floor. It was shattered when some people from his household came to him and said, Your daughter has died. But Jesus says to the hemorrhaging woman, Jesus says to Jairus, Jesus says to us, all of us who experience sickness and suffering, and all of us who will die, Jesus says, Do not fear, only believe. Lord, that's hard. I like the man in the gospel who says, I believe, help thou in my unbelief. There are times when I do have great faith and there are other days when I wonder and doubt and question. Jesus says, don't fear. Don't fear what, Lord? How about this? Don't fear that the worst thing that can happen to you will be the last thing that happens to you, including death itself. Said differently, the healing of the woman suffering from hemorrhages and the raising of life to, of Jairus' daughter is a foreshadowing of what will happen to Jesus. Death, resurrection. In other words, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which is at the very heart of our Christian faith, something that we receive from God, this kind of faith, is a cosmic revelation it is an event and through which God reveals to us that there's no problem, no life situation, nothing present, nothing to come, including death, 
that is more powerful than God. God gets the last word. Do not fear, says Jesus. Instead, Jesus says, believe, trust in the truth that no matter how death comes, it will be a passageway, an entrance into the deeper mystery of life in God. St. Paul put it eloquently. He said, oh, death, where is thy sting? Well, it does sting. But Paul came to understand that there was something greater than death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through death. The great paschal mystery. Paschal means passing through death into the mystery of resurrection. Christ is God. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's our hope. And in his coming, we're counting on him raising us to a new life in him, by him, with him. I believe all of that. I don't think there's any other greater truth in life. However, it has been my experience to have the voice of skepticism be heard within me and among others. This voice says that all of that is a fantasy, a human invention, a way of coping with our fear of death. That indeed life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Listen, when I hear that voice, I know that what I need, I need to hear resurrection stories. I need to be in worship. I need to be among other people who have some resurrection stories. I need to hear the stories we're told in today's gospel reading about healing and resurrection. The stories that Mark tells us today are important. Just let the story speak to your spiritual heart because stories have a way that open up our spiritual hearts that really want to believe and have faith. And these stories crack us open and help us to believe let these stories of faith and healing and resurrection speak to us rather than question and analyze. Let them, like a good poem or a good song or a good hymn, speak to your spiritual heart. These stories are important. They will give us hope. They will help us to live and hoe the garden while we know that death and suffering involves the future. These stories will help us die. And they will help us die believing that we will live again. Having said that, I want to conclude with a true story. A true story that I was privileged to be a part of. An incredible story. A true-to-life story. When, when I say true to life, life involves doubt and belief, death and resurrection, despair and hope. This is a story about all of that, a story about unspeakable grief and the power of love to heal and bring about new life. It's a story that happened to 1992 when I was serving as the 
priest at Redeemer, Church of the Redeemer in Mobile. And on a Tuesday afternoon, I was there by myself and someone knocked on the door and introduced herself to me as Belinda Rooney. She had her two-year-old son with her named Alex. He was adopted and she told me that her husband's name was David. Belinda said she had been riding up and down Cody Road for several weeks and she kept hearing something inside of her saying, you need a faith community. And so she stopped at the Church of the Redeemer and started telling me this. And she said, my, my husband is agnostic. He won't be coming, but I want to come to worship. I want to belong to this church. And David is her husband. He's, he, he's not. He's just not there. And I said, okay, that's okay. Well, come on and start coming. And she started coming. And after a while, she said, you know, we adopted Alex. And Alex is, is two. And I want to have him baptized. And we scheduled the baptism in the fall of that year. But the baptism never occurred. The baptism did not occur because on Pentecost Sunday, we had our parish picnic out of the Coast Guard base but David and Belinda weren't able to come and while they were hoeing their garden literally working in the garden young Alex got on his motorized tricycle and got into the through the gate and drowned in the pool I got a call at the Coast Guard to come to Providence Hospital it's as when I say the grief was unfathomable, I mean unfathomable. It's hard. It's really hard. And David, at that point, just was broken. For the next three or four months, though, this community of faith known as the Church of the Redeemer poured the love of Christ out, accepting them with their grief, weeping with them when they wept, ministering to them, being with them, loving them. About three months later, another knock on the door at the church came on another afternoon. This time it was David, and David said, Marshall, I need to talk to you. He said, I'm not a Christian, but if this is what Christianity looks like, if this is the love that can flow in a time of pain and death, I want to be a Christian. And he said, I want to be baptized on the day that my son was scheduled to be baptized in the fall of that year. And he was. It was the most incredible Sunday <clears throat> in 32 years of ordained ministry. Now, one little addition to the story is that David went on to be junior warden. He was a faithful member of the parish. He went to Curcio at Beckwith a short course in Christianity, and then after that, he decided he wanted to serve on staff at Curcio, and the staff was made up of about 15 or 20 people, and we had a staff meeting on the night before all the participants would come the next day, and David came up, and he was assigned to give a talk on faith, and he came up to me, and he said, I just don't know if I should talk about Alex. I don't know. I, I, I can't get any peace about it. I said, Sleep on it, pray about it, and you'll know in the morning. Well, in that, that next morning, we had a staff Eucharist, 20 people in Beckwith. We pulled out 20 chairs. There were 150 or so prayer books in the closet. We pulled out 20 prayer books. We put them in the chairs randomly, 
The staff comes in, David among the staff. They all sit, no assigned seats. He sits in his seat. We go through the Eucharist, and when it's over, he comes up to me. He said, I got my answer. I got my answer. I said, what do you mean you got your answer? He said, look, look. And he opened the prayer book that was in his seat. And when he opened it, there was a hello, my name sticker in there. And it said, hello, my name is Alex. It was the only prayer book out of 150 that had a sticker. It, had, it was put in randomly in a chair. He sat randomly in a chair. You may not believe in miracles, but you have to admire the timing. Incredible. And he said, I knew that Alex was with me. And he gave one of the most powerful talks on faith at Cursilla. You can only imagine. We need stories that inspire hope, stories of resurrection, stories of love that is stronger than death. I don't have the answer as to why David and Belinda went through it. I don't. I don't have the answer as to how, why tragedies like that happen. But I do believe, and I ask you to be open to the power of love that is stronger than death, that brings about new life. O oh God, in your boundless compassion, console us when we mourn, help us to grieve with hope, and give us faith to see in death the gate of eternal life, so that with quiet confidence we may continue our course on earth, until by your call, we are reunited with those who have gone before us. Amen.